you have your Bible, find the book of Hebrews. When the brother announced the book of Hebrews a while ago, I got a lump in my throat. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. I don't want to sound like everybody else, but I, I sure am grateful um, for the generosity. Charity Baptist Church. I don't say stuff like this, so, like what I'm about to say. So, I want you to know that I really mean it when I say, I wish I lived down here so I could go to this church. <laughs> you know what that means, Brother Kevin? You're my pastor. <laughs> I don't live here. <laughs> But I'm making you my pastor, brother. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Sorry. You got to work on your hands. <laughs> I love you, brother. And, and I love this church. And I love this meeting. I, I, don't, I don't go to a lot of meetings. I go maybe two or three uh, a year. And uh, I, this last year was, was my first time to be here at this one. And it is uh, probably going to get me in trouble with some of my good friends. But this is my favorite meeting uh, the, of the ones I do go to. This one's my favorite. And I love this church. And thank you. Thank you for your hospitality uh, to us. Um, he mentioned that I had uh, recently resigned my church. Um, some of you were saved later in life. And maybe you lived a, a life of wickedness, sinfulness, and you know you found it difficult to witness to the people that knew you because they knew what you had been. They weren't ready to hear you. Maybe you heard the word hypocrite. I feel like a hypocrite for what I'm going to preach to you this morning. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he may have been, writes these words. Wherefore, seeing that we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. <laughs> Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. <laughs> The Alpha and the Omega. The beginner and the completer of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Here's why I feel like a hypocrite. I want to preach to you this morning. I want to be an encouragement. I do. I want to be an encouragement. I want to preach to you this morning on this simple thought. Hang in there. Hang in there. Let's pray. Help us this morning, Lord. Use your word to be an encouragement. And Lord, may it be that your spirit and your word cause a weary brother or sister to this morning decide to go another mile. Help us to look unto Jesus. Help me to make much of him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. There are a few movies that I'm going to watch when they're on. One of the, I, some of you probably thinking I'm worldly or whatever. I'll wear it. One of those movies is Rocky. That is the first movie that I can remember grabbed hold of me. It did. Man, it spoke to me. One of my favorite scenes out of the first Rocky. Now, if I had time, I would give you the order of all of the Rocky movies in order from greatest to worst. But some of you would get mad at me at where I place Rocky (laughs) 3. But my favorite scene in that first Rocky movie is the night before the big fight with Apollo Creed. And he's standing there in the middle of the ring in the Coliseum, and he's looking at the pictures of himself and the champion Apollo Creed. Speaks briefly with the promoter of the fight. And he walks back home, and he realizes he can't win. And he says this to Adrian. I wish I could talk like him, but hear his voice as I'm saying it. He says this, because I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either. Because all I want to do is go the distance. No one has ever gone the distance with Creed. And, I, and if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. What was most important to him was finishing Just being there when the last bell rang. For him, it wasn't just that that was more important than winning. That was victory in his mind was to finish the fight and to still be standing there when that last bell 
rang. We already know the brother pointed out that the book of Hebrews was written to people who were being persecuted. Some of them, their families had put them out. They were suffering for the cause of Christ. And some of them were about to go back. And so the writer of Hebrews says, no, don't do that. Finish the race. Hang in there. And it's not just that he has been telling them to hang in there. In Hebrews chapter 12, these first couple of verses, he tells them and he tells us how we can hang in there. How we can finish the race. How we can still be standing. When not the last bell, but that trumpet sounds. I want to give you couple of steps to take to help you finish the race and hang in there. First, we're told, if you're going to hang in there, there are some things you're going to have to lay down. There's some things you're going to have to lay down. First word of Hebrews 12 is wherefore. That means that he is connecting what he is about to say to what he has already said. More specifically in this context, it means that he's going to make an application of what he has just told us. So he writes in verse 1, wherefore seeing that we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. The writer has set us. Uh, it, it seems in a coliseum we're on the track we're in the last lap it would appear and those who have already finished their race are seated in the stands and it looks like they are cheering us on they are there as encouragement and motivation for us to rid our lives of anything that might keep us from finishing our race. There are a couple of things that must be laid aside if we're going to hang in there and finish the race. He tells us to lay aside that which hinders us. Let us lay aside every weight. I'm interested in that word weight. It's defined as that which serves to hinder or to prevent someone from doing something. According to one source I read at the time in in which the book of Hebrews was written, the competitors in the Olympic Games through very severe training, they had no excess flesh. And they ran largely unclothed. Flesh and clothing were set aside, as it were, so that there wouldn't be anything to hinder them from winning their race. Listen, if we are to finish our own courses, our own races, if I can just simplify it and say, you're going to have to drop some weight. Sound like your doctor, don't I? That's all they know anymore. That and you're going to have to quit eating spicy food and drinking caffeine. What do they know? I think they're so smart. (laughs) Told one one time, I thought I had something wrong with my throat. It turns out there wasn't anything wrong with my throat. I had acid reflux that was making my throat hurt. 
And she said, you're going to have to give up the spicy food and the caffeine. I said, this chronic sore throat's going to take some getting used to. (laughs) What's this weight that he's talking about? What is this hindrance that he is telling us to lay aside? And I cannot answer that for you. What is a weight for me might not be a weight for you. And vice versa. In his commentary on the book of Hebrews, John Phillips offers a a pretty broad explanation of some suggestions for for the weight some of us may carry around. Here's what he said. Legitimate things can become weights to hold us back, a a love of comfort and ease, contentment with a job, security at work. These legitimate things can become weight to hold us back in the race. I can't tell you what your weights are, but I want to submit some other possibilities. There might be some hurt or heartache. That has been hindering you, weighting you down. And if you expect to finish your course, you're going to have to lay it down. It might be worry. It might be a person. It might be an attitude. It might be an inordinate love for temporal comforts. It might be something good that you have allowed to become a hindrance in your ministry and in your walk with the Lord. Warren Wearsby has an interesting take on the weight mentioned here. He, he wrote that a winning athlete does not choose between the good and the bad. He chooses between the better and the best. And it might be that what is weighing you down and what will hinder you from finishing your race is something that is not wrong or sinful in itself. It is something Good. It may be something that has happened to you, but you keep carrying it around. Whatever it might be, I came by to encourage you this morning. Set it down so you can cross the finish line. Set that hindrance down. Lay it aside. That which hinders us. But he also tells us to lay down. And I got to get personal here. That which hangs on to us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. The sin which doth so easily beset us. The word that's translated beset carries the idea of something that exerts tight control over us. One lexicon I read translated the phrase the sin that so easily besets us as the sin which controls us so tightly. Martin Luther translated it that sin which also so clings to us.
Some of you have picked something up that won't turn you loose. Some of you have carried something with you that is exerting tight control over your life. If you don't set it down, it's going to trip you up. And you're going to fall before you can get to the finish line. If you're going to hang in there and finish the race, you're going to have to lay aside the sin that is sticking to you. It's time to quit justifying it. It's time to quit making excuses. It's time to quit being defeated. It's time to quit hanging on and in the name of Jesus laid down that sin that has been clinging to us that we may finish the race that he has set before us. Again, I can't tell you what that is for you. The writer of Hebrews is not specific here. But I think there's maybe something, while it could be something different for all, I think there's something that the writer of Hebrews revisits over and over that is a sin that we forget about. And that is the sin of unbelief. He mentions that several times. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of lust. No, that's not what he said. Take heed, lest there be in you an evil heart of gossip and slander. No. Take heed, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God, Hebrews 3.19, we're told that those Israelites who made it out of Egypt but never made it into Canaan, but they fell in the wilderness, they did so because of unbelief. Hebrews 4 verses 6 and 11 tell us that unbelief will keep us out of God's place of rest with all of our different sins. And with all of the sin which doth so easily beset each and every one of us, there's one that we all carry around to some degree, and that is the sin of unbelief, and it is a killer. It is a hindrance. There is nothing that holds us back like unbelief. There is nothing that weighs us down more than unbelief. There is nothing that will keep you from finishing your race like the sin of unbelief. Nothing will wear you out and wear you down like unbelief. How many churches get to a certain place and stop? Because of unbelief. You know what phrase I hate to hear? Well, where are we going to get the money to do that? Keep that to yourself. Number one, is all you're doing is telling, you're laying your cards out on the table that there's a heart of unbelief. How are we going to get that done? How are we going to pull this off? What if, what if, what if? Unbelief. 
How many of us have fallen short of what God wants to do in us, through us, for us, and with us because we don't trust him enough? How many churches get stagnant and die and close their doors because of unbelief? How many pastors fail to reach and preachers fail to reach what God wants them to be and what he wants them to do because they draw back because of unbelief. I'll say it again. Of all of our various and sundry sins, I don't know that there's one more destructive than the sin of unbelief. And maybe there's some listening who are holding yourselves back because of unbelief. You're holding on to tightly controlling sins because you've held on to it so long that you don't know how you'll manage without it. And it might be that you don't believe you can lay it down. I'll say again let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us in Jesus name and finish the race that is set before us. If you're going to hang in there and finish your race you'll have to cast off the weights that are hindering you and the sin that's hanging on to you because you can't move forward when you're weighed down. You can't move forward when you're entangled by sin especially the sin of unbelief, whatever the weight, whatever the sin, lay it down and hang in there. There's, a, there's some things we must lay down. Secondly, if you're going to finish the race and hang in there, there is someone you must look to. <laughs> Beginning of verse 2 tells us to Lay aside these hindrances. But don't look at where you drop it. <laughs> he says, look up. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. One of these days I'm going to buy myself a handkerchief. <laughs> to look to Jesus. You're going to have to look away from whatever else has your attention. Whether that be a temptation, whether that be a circumstance, a problem, a situation, whatever. You're going to have to look away from that and look to Jesus. The writer gives us three reasons why we need to Look unto Jesus. And before I give those to you, uh, we're a lot of mostly preachers in here this morning, I'm assuming. And you've probably read the same books I have. And I want you to know that I had three really good subpoints for this point. But I, or I thought they were anyway, until I read John Phillips's commentary, and his were much better. So I'm using his subpoints. But the stuff is mine. Now, you may be thinking, I don't care where you got it, but I try to be honest. And if it ain't mine, I don't claim it. Three reasons. We should look to Jesus. Phillips writes that we look unto Jesus because the writer of Hebrews points us to his person. We look unto Jesus because of his person, who he is. He is the author of our faith. He is the originator. He is the founder. 
of our faith. It means an originator or founder of a movement who continues as the leader. And it goes without saying that Jesus Christ, Son of God, born in Bethlehem, the Word made flesh, He is the founder of Christianity. And He continues as its leader. Look to Him. He's the finisher of our faith. Word finisher, it's an interesting word. It comes from a verb that means to complete. The writer of Hebrews makes it into a noun. So it means one who makes the makes possible the successful completion of something or a perfecter. And here's what's interesting to me about this word. According to A.T. Robertson, this word was apparently coined by the writer of Hebrews. Because the word that's translated finisher is not found anywhere else. Just right here. I hope you don't mind if I use my imagination a little bit. I imagine that as the writer of Hebrews was looking for a word to describe who Jesus is as he tells us to look away from what is holding us back and look unto Jesus. He's looking for a word that fits and he can't find one so he just makes one up and says this is who Jesus is. You see Jesus is in a class all by himself. He is beyond the limits of full human expression. Therefore, he deserves designations. He deserves descriptions. He deserves praises. And he deserves glory all to himself. And the psalmist said as much in Psalm 148, 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. Look unto Jesus Because he is worthy. You've heard the expression, never meet your heroes. I wish I would have heard that before I've met some of my heroes. I've set my eyes upon man and been bitterly disappointed. But Jesus has never failed. (laughs) And he has never failed me. He tells us to look to Jesus because of his person. Then he points us to, notice what he does here. He points us to, uh, as Philip's right, his passion. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus not only because of who he is but for what he has done. And the writer of Hebrews directs our attention to the cross of Jesus where he endured its agony and suffered its shame. And the way he endured the cross serves as an example for us to follow as we run our race. And Simon Peter picked up on this as well. And he says over in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus left an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. 
But he committed himself to him that judges righteously. He points us to the cross of Christ. He points us to the suffering of Christ. And he says, if you're looking for a hero, if you were looking for a supreme example of endurance through suffering and finishing the race, look back to Calvary where Jesus completed the work that God sent him to do in order to glorify his Father. Why did Jesus... Endure the suffering and the shame of the cross. Well, we know he, he told his disciples, my food is to do the will of my Father and to complete the work that he has sent me to do. But the writer of Hebrews gives us another reason. For the joy that was set before him. Jesus was able to look past the day of his betrayal, his arrest, and his trial. He was able to look past the day when his back was plowed with a scourge. He was able to look past the day when he would be mocked, spat upon, and beaten, and nailed to a tree where he suffered, bled, and died. He endured the cross and all of its agony. Because he could see the first day of the week. He could see past all of the groaning and set his sights on the glory. I don't know what all you may be going through right now or what might be weighing you down and holding you back. And I don't know what laying down, what's weighing you down will cost you. But what I do know is that if we're going to finish strong, we'll have to look beyond all of the sacrifice, all of the suffering, all of the shame. And like Jesus, look ahead to the joy that is set before us in glory. Anybody play football? High school? What was it that made you go out to spring training when they were just trying to get you to quit? What made you go out in the middle of August, 100 degrees, 100% humidity? (laughs) I don't know what they do now, but I hear they give water breaks in football practice now. It wasn't so much of a thing in the 80s and before. I I can speak to that. You might have got one. They had this big copper bar stuck up on on the cyclone fence. Had little holes about this far from each other. We looked like little baby piglets rooting in there trying to get a drink of water for 30 seconds before we got called back. We had camp. Three practices a day. You'd get down there on Sunday evening, Brother Kevin, and and it was a National Guard um, facility. It was the firing range. It was the tank range. You'd be running, all of a sudden you'd disappear for a second, come back out somewhere else. Big holes everywhere. They'd mow before we got down there. We had to, with our hands, get up all the grass clippings. Did I mention it's hot? <laughs> 
first practice was before daylight. There weren't any lights out there. Coaches pulled their trucks around in a circle with their headlights on. Practice for a couple hours in the morning, go eat breakfast. You come back in the afternoon, practice a couple hours, come back in the evening and practice a couple hours. What in the world would make you do that? What would make you suffer through a hot August day, weeks on end, getting your brains beat out, getting yelled at, cussed at by the coaches, broken bones, hurt feelings, sacrificing time that you could have been doing something else? Because of Friday night. (laughs) It was glory to be had. On Friday evening under the lights and the roar of a crowd. Oh, but on the grand scale, (laughs) Jesus endured all of the suffering of the cross because there was glory to be had. And the writer of Hebrews points us to Jesus and he says, listen, there is glory to be had. And Paul in Romans says that all those who God foreknew and predestinated and called and sanctified and justified, them he also glorified. There is glory to be had. But you're going to have to endure the groans first. Just like Jesus did. We look to him because of his person and his passion, his position. Verse 2 concludes, and is set down at the right hand of God. Because he was willing to lay down his life. God lifted him up to be seated at his right hand. You know what our problem is? The glory sounds good, doesn't it? The being lifted up sounds good. We want the glory, but we don't want the groan. We want to be lifted up, but we don't want to have to lay down. We want the crown, but we don't want to have to take up the cross. Listen. If you're going to wear the victor's crown, you're going to have to endure some suffering. If you're going to be lifted up, you're going to have to lay yourself down. Paul wrote in Romans eight seventeen that if we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with Christ. Glance inward long enough to see what's hindering you and holding on to you. Then lift up your head. Take a brief glance in the grandstand at those who have run this race before you. We have a list in Hebrews chapter 11 of those who are seated in the grandstand as examples to us. There's Abraham, who when God said, leave your family and go somewhere where I'm going to tell you, without telling him where, Abraham said, I'm going. Actually, he didn't say a whole lot at all. He just went. There's Abraham who, when God said, sacrifice your promised son Isaac to me, Isaac said, you fellas stay here while me and the lad go and worship and return to you. Oh, Abraham would sit up there in the stands and he'd say, you can trust him. Just keep plodding along. (laughs) There's Joseph who died in Egypt. Never made it to the earthly promised land alive. 
But he left some instructions by faith to bring out his carcass, his bones, and bury them in the promised land. Because he believed God and he knew that God is faithful and he knew that there was a better day coming. There's Moses who could have had an easy life in Pharaoh's palace, but he chose rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season to endure suffering with the people of God. You look at Moses and he'd say, boy, leading God's people ain't easy. They sure are normal. They sure do complain a lot. They sure are frustrating. But it would be worth it to you to finish your race. He'd say sometimes you get hungry and other times you get thirsty and it seems like you spend a lot of time walking circles and people complain a lot, but he's there in the cloud of witnesses. Saying, hang in there finish the course it gets better you know one of the things I love about Moses and I'm hurrying actually I'm not hurrying I should have hurried already but it's too late we're past that now it's because of his sin of when he got angry and instead of speaking to the rock he he went ahead and struck the rock that second time God sends him up on Mount Pisgah and he says you can look there But you can't go over there. But then in the Gospels, when Jesus is being transfigured, two historical figures appear. And guess who's in the promised land that day? Moses. (laughs) Not in body. Oh, I believe that Moses would tell you there's grace to be had. Don't mess up and disqualify yourself. Look to Jesus. Finish the race. There's Gideon. He's saying you might be afraid. It's all right. You just keep going with Jesus. He'll make a warrior out of you. There's Barak. He's saying don't be afraid to go into battle because you're not alone. The Lord will go with you and the Lord will fight for you. Look into the grandstand and see those who have suffered persecution and martyrdom. But don't stare too long. Look at them. Glance at yourself just long enough to see what's holding you back and tying you up so you can lay it down. And now look away from the heroes of the faith and look away from yourself and your sin and what's hindering you and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Brother shared with us earlier how that he is our forerunner. He's out front. He's already ran the race. He's already walked where you have walked. He's been tempted in every way that you have been tempted yet without sin. He has suffered hunger, thirst, rejection, the grief of death of a loved one. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He went before you. He's been with you in all of life's heartaches and disappointments. He's ahead of you, leading you through the dark valleys and to the mountaintops of victory. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting to give you rest and a victor's crown. If you'll lay aside what's weighing you down set your gaze upon him hang in there 
Christian life is not competitive. I'm not running a race against anybody else. It's not about winning because we're already victors, more than conquerors. It's about finishing and finishing well. If you want to finish well as a preacher or pastor, if you want to finish well as a good church member, if you want to finish well as a Christian, if you want to finish well as a church, lay aside what's holding you back and what is clinging so tightly to you. Follow the examples of the faithful who have gone before, but most importantly, look unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame. Father, it may be that there's some who've gone off course because they lost focus. Help them to set their eyes upon Christ this morning. Lord, there's hurts and there's heartaches and there's troubles and there's trials, and there's hardships. Lord, there are shattered dreams. Maybe shattered lives. God, there may be some who they don't think they can go another step. Oh God, remind them that there is glory to be had. But you got to endure the groans first and set our eyes upon Christ so that we may finish our race and glorify Him by following His example. Brother Kevin.